We move in our study through the Bible from the golden age of the book of Joshua to the dark age of the book of Judges. Judges covers about three to four hundred years. There were 15 judges that were raised up, and it includes seven specific cycles of revival. But it's known as the Dark Ages. If you want to look with me this morning in Judges chapter 2, it says in verse 9 that Joshua died at the age of 110. And after him, this is a sad but accurate summary of the entire book of Judges. It says, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, that is, they died. But now another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. Isn't that sad? Within one generation, the nation of Israel had gone from the golden days of Joshua when every place he set his foot, God gave it to him, where he went from military victory to military victory, where the people were devoted to God and would not tolerate idolatry. And at the end of Joshua's life, when he made that great declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, all Israel responded and said, so will we. We will not follow idols. Within one generation, the whole bunch of them turned from the Lord to serve idols. How can that happen? And this is a sobering alarm for us as a local church. If we do not teach the next generation about God and about God's ways, we are one generation away from being irrelevant, from losing it. It's the importance of training children and Young people, students in the faith of Christ to follow the Lord, to set for them a good example, to place for them those stones of remembrance, to point the children, see what God has done, see how faithful God's been, see what God can do in answer to prayer. What a reminder, what a sober reminder on the importance, the priority of training the next generation, of teaching our children. But it goes on. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord their God. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. It's a sad state. We go from the book of Joshua, a book of victory, to the book of Judges, a book of defeat. We go from an anointed leader, Joshua, to a vacuum of leadership in the book of Judges. We go from joy to sorrow, faith to unbelief, 
obedience to disobedience, expansion to decline, and freedom to bondage. All within a generation. Now, for every book of the Bible that we're looking at, we want to get our arms around it. And so if you take the entire book of Judges, all 21 chapters, the first two chapters are introductory, the last four chapters are a summary, and the middle chunk are seven cycles of revival. Now, there are also seven cycles of decline. It depends uh, whether the glass is half full or half empty. I, I'm a half full guy, so I prefer to look at it as seven cycles of revival. So if you would open your notes with me and keep the book of Judges open, and you'll see a diagram on the right-hand inside of those notes And when this was drawn up, my assistant wanted to put down a... we got the wrong slide up here. My assistant wanted to put down an arrow that would go all the way back to one, which is the pride phase. In fact, let's just look at these five cycles. Number one is the pride phase. Israel got proud and forsook the Lord. They exchanged God's manifest presence for a counterfeit idol, always. It always led them to idolatry. That was part of the pride phase. Phase two is the pain phase. It's the phase of uh, the spiritual cycle where they're now reaping the consequences for their pride and their idolatry. The, the, the idols and the demons behind those idols that they're worshiping are wreaking havoc on their lives. And they're in bondage and oppression, economic decline, and all kinds of collapse nationally. That second phase was only ever ended when one thing happened. They cried out to God. Sometimes it took eight years. Sometimes it took 40 years. But no matter how long it took, the decline and the pain phase did not end until they cried out to God. Then crying out to God always, without exception, always led them to the next phase, which is the provision phase. When God provided a Redeemer and began leading them back to His manifest presence. And then that always led them to the final phase, and that's the presence phase. And it's was always characterized by peace. When God restored His presence to the people of God, it always resulted in peace. Now, in a sense, this cycle represents the four cycles of nature. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. 
fall is the pride. Pride comes before the fall. And a haughty spirit before destruction. Life begins shutting down with pride that always leads to idolatry. That's the fall phase. Then winter, spiritual dormancy. The manifest presence isn't there and there is cold and the painful consequences of sin. The wages of sin is always death and bondage and adversity. And Israel experienced that seven times through the book of Judges. Now, what turns winter into spring? There's only one thing. And it happens every time. They cry out to God. They cry out to God. When they cry out to God, springtime is on the way. Then following that is the springtime. There's freedom. A leader is raised up who is godly and leads them back to God and they prosper. Then that leads them into enjoying years of the peace and presence of God. Now follow this. There are seven of them. I just would like us this morning to look at a few. If you would turn in the book of Judges, leave your notes open, but turn in the book of Judges to chapter 3. Verse 1 sets the context. There were nations that the Lord left in the land of Israel to test them. Verse 4 repeats the same thing. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands or not. Now, verse 7 is phase 1. It's the pride phase. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and the Asherahs. The Baal was a male idol. Asherah was uh, the the female counterpart. And together they formed an unholy alliance that led Israel astray time and time and time again. But this then leads to phase two, the pain. Verse eight, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of the this foreign nation and subjected them to slavery for eight years. Then verse 9 is phase 3, the prayer phase. But when they cried out to the Lord, that's phase 3, the prayer phase. Then immediately phase 4, the provision phase. He raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel. Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. And then finally, the presence phase, verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, verse 11. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel died. So that's one whole cycle of spiritual reformation. From the pride phase to the pain, to the prayer crying out to God, to the provision of Othniel, the leader, to the presence of God being with them and His peace characterizing His presence for 40 years. 
They enjoyed that. But then, those 40 years are done, Othniel dies, and what happens? We see the same cycle repeated over again, verse 12. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the pride phase. The second half of verse 12 is the pain phase. They did evil in his eyes, so he gave them over to the leader of Moab, and they entered into this time of slavery to the Amorites and the Amalekites, and they became their possession. They were subject to these leaders for 18 years. They were slaves. Again, 18 years of pain. Then verse 15, again the Israelites cried out to the Lord. That's the third phase, the prayer phase. And phase four, he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man. Isn't it amazing the little details God just kind of throws in there? How many of us are left-handed? Well, Ehud is the patron saint of the left-handed. He was a good guy. A left-handed man. Got to love those little details. So God gives them a great leader. And then look at verse 30. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. That's two generations. They must have done something right under this left-handed leader, Ehud. Under Ehud's leadership, they must have taught the kids because it lasted two generations. Okay, now we come to chapter 4. Let's look at one more cycle. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again, phase 1, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Phase 2, verse 2. So the Lord sold them into the hands of the king of Canaan. Then verse 3, phase 3, they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 4, phase 4, the provision phase, Deborah the prophetess was raised up. And it goes on to describe the restoration of the people of God under Deborah. One final cycle, chapter 6, we don't want to leave Gideon out. Verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the pride phase. And for seven years, he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. That's phase two, the pain phase. It says they were oppressive. They had to hide from the Midianites in caves. And they did whatever the Midianites and the Malachites wanted them to do. If they wanted them to work in the... It's kind of like rent a student. You know, they want them to work in the fields. They worked in the fields. They did whatever the Amorites and the Midianites wanted them to do. But then look at verse 6. They cried out to the Lord. You never find them crying out to the Lord that the Lord doesn't immediately rescue them. Now, I just want to stop here for one second and say, Some people think the book of Judges is so terrible. So much stupidity. How could those people be so stupid? 
If you're sitting there saying, how could those people be so stupid? I want to just sit next to you and quietly and smile and say, how could you be so proud? Do you think you're really any different? Do you really think that you are so different from these? But rather than focusing on the downward spiral of the people of Israel, rather than focusing on how hard-hearted and idolatrous and prideful they were, how about if we focus on how merciful and forgiving God is? And... Do we have some students returning from the retreat, Dale? Let's all welcome the students back. I mean, I mean, lesser students would have just gone out and partied tonight or just gone home to bed. But but here they are. I think that's awesome. That is good stuff. So what we're finding in this downward spiral is that there is... At the moment of crying out to God, God's updraft of restoring. And God is quicker to forgive than the Israelites were quick to fall and to forget. No, Judges, if you look at it one way, is a book of defeat. But if you look at it another way, it is a book of deliverance and restoration that happens over and over and over again. And the key is when they cry out to God. And no sooner do they cry out to God here in Judges 6, 6, verse 7 is the fourth phase, the provision phase. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian... He sent them a prophet. It was Gideon. And Gideon walked in the presence of God more devotedly, more intentionally, more thoroughly than any of the others. He heard from God more frequently. God made Gideon more aware of what God wanted to do. Through him. God is speaking to Gideon, verse 8. I brought you up out of Egypt. I snatched you out of Egypt. I drove them from before you and gave you their land, verse 11. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. There's a lot of angelic appearances in, in the book of Judges. Here's one of them. And the Lord, speaking through his angel, said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Whew. Gideon has a conversation with the Lord. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Verse 23, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar and called it, the Lord is peace. Verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. 
Chapter 7, verse 7. I will save you. Verse 9. Get up. Go down against the camp. I'm going to give it into your hands. There's dreams and revelations that God gives to Gideon. And he leads in a mighty restoration. Chapter 8, verse 33. No sooner had Gideon died than Israel again prostituted themselves with the Baals. So, should there be an arrow that continues on from five over to one? Now listen to me. If you were drawing the book of Judges, yes. But if you're using the book of Judges as a teaching tool for us, the answer is no. Now listen to me. The disciples failed before the resurrection. We have no record that they failed after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, Peter said, I won't deny you, Lord. Because he did not recognize his own depravity. He didn't recognize the depth of his own sinfulness. He, in pride, thought that he could stand against whatever was thrown at him. But, now follow this. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he appeared on at least 12 occasions, many times to the disciples. And after those appearances, Jesus ascends into heaven, and forget this, for 10 days, the disciples went to the upper room, and at that point, which phase of this diagram were they in? I I was so glad the first person that called it out got it right. Three. Now get this. For ten days, they cried out to God. Why? Because they had recognized their pride. They had felt their pain. Peter at the top of the pile, who went out and wept bitterly after he locked eyes with Jesus, having denied Jesus three times, he went out and felt the pain and anguish of a failed, fallen, prideful man. And he was there for ten days, crying out to God. Now follow this. What did God do in response to crying out? Did He give him a judge? No. He gave him the Holy Spirit. The presence. They don't, they didn't need a human judge. They didn't need a human king. They had the presence of God. And they would never fall again. Now, People, do you see at all a reflection of your own life in that cycle? Have you ever recognized the depth of your own pride and the fact that you have accumulated for yourselves idols in the form of success, 
or power, prestige, possessions, pleasure, whether outward or inward. Have you ever recognized stage phase one? Have you recognized phase two of suffering the consequences, the rip-off, the unfulfillment, the misery, the guilt, the shame, the displeasure, the emptiness, the void of meaning, the consequences of bowing at the wrong altars? And then, have you ever hit the bottom to where you finally, whether it's after three years or eight years or whatever, cry out to God? There, there is something, this word crying out to God, it's used quite frequently through the Bible, and every time it happens, good things follow. Every time. It's a word that is an audible crying out. And it's also an emotional crying out. It's a, it's a crying out of desperation. Just as a parent can recognize the difference between the cries of their children, whether it's a pouty cry or a, um, a, a ho-hum cry or a blood-curdling cry, parents can recognize it and so can God. This is one of those, I'm dying, cries. This is one where you go and walk a power line where there aren't any houses and you're all by yourself and you let it rip. A few days ago, Sherry and I went and saw the King's Speech. The only other R-rated movie I think I've ever seen was um, The Passion of the Christ. There were two spurts of foul language. So I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. But it was a great movie. It's about Queen Elizabeth's dad, King George VI, who had a speech impediment. It was from a wound when he was five or six years old, an emotional wound that he was bottled up. And had this anger inside. And his speech therapist got a hold of that and gave him the freedom to let it out. It was all bottled up. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that we use foul language when we pray. But I am suggesting that we've got to be real. And we've got to let out what's inside. And God knows what's inside anyway. And we're not going to offend Him when we scream as long as we are including Him in the audience. In fact, it's best when He's the only one who is the audience. When we go down the basement or upstairs or close the door, walk out in a field where no one is, and just let it rip and tell God how we feel inside. And when we do that, when we cry out in desperation, heaven and earth come together in a hurry. We move from winter, 
When everything's shut down and dormant and there's life nowhere that's visible. To springtime, when crocuses start coming and trees flower and the new life appears. When we cry out to God. For the early church, it wasn't that there was some disaster. It wasn't that they were slaves in a foreign land. But what did it for them was they saw the fifth phase of the cycle. They saw the presence phase. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the promise of the Father. They wanted God to so fill their their presence with His presence that they would cry out to Him from the depth of their soul in corporate prayer for ten days. That's the kind of prayer that God's waiting for from us. Now, may it not take an earthquake of 8.9 to move us to desperation. Let's watch and take it to heart, but respond the way God wants us to respond. Pride will always embrace idols. Because other than the one true God, every other God is a projection of ourselves. God is calling us today as a people to repent. Here's the word of the Lord. Beware when you think you stand lest you fall. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is not by strength, nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time He will lift you up. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Hear the word of the Lord. See over this stage this morning, forgiveness. Receive it. Give it. God extends His arms to you this morning. Some of you feel like you are in the dead of winter. And the only thing that's keeping springtime at a distance is God is waiting for you To cry out to Him. Would you cry out today? Would you cry out to God? We're going to sing a great song. Can you hear the mountains tremble? Can you hear the oceans roar? With those images coming to us from Japan of mountains trembling and oceans roaring... Today's a great day to cry out to God. 